how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 397, where I speak with Scott Andrew James, an instant poet and keynote speaker. About 10 years ago, Scott felt disconnected from the world, which led him to poetry, thanks to the advice of his wife. Now he's written over 10,000 instant poems in the last decade. In fact, in this episode, Scott actually writes a poem on the spot. The subject, we discuss an idea from Seth Godin about Icarus. Don't fly too high, but more important, don't fly too low. If you fly too low, the waves will weigh you down and you will perish. We also talk about how he wrote a thousand poems in a year, why he preferred to use an old typewriter he inherited from his grandfather, the difference between the tortured artist and the playful trickster, and how to push yourself to that which is unexpected. As a special note, since Scott is creating on the spot, this interview is a little more conversational in nature and less edited. We hope you enjoy it, and you can find more about Scott at scottandrewjames.com. Well, the origin story for me as a poet is like the wonderful mysteriousness of the universe. Uh, I feel like I was born, you know, just doing it. So before I knew what it was, I was writing poems, making up stories. Like I have this memory of uh, being at sleepovers when I was like in grade school, you know, seven, eight years old, making up stories on the spot, telling them to the other guys, which, uh, for me, it felt really normal, but I have since learned was not a typical experience. <laughs> and, uh, but the, what I do now, uh, like the typewriter poetry is in essence born about 10 years ago, uh, when I entered this period of like deep, deep disconnection. So I just felt really, I had a job I didn't love. I was in a new place and I just wasn't that, uh, into the world, myself, I wasn't connected. And so in essence, my origin story was digging around for inspiration. And uh, I found it in two main places. One was my wife, who, you know, people who love you a lot, they can see when you're in a rough spot. And she kept encouraging me to go do poetry uh, in groups, like get with other creatives, do it more so that it can be part of my life. And then I also stumbled across uh, Chris Gillibo, uh, who runs the World Domination Summit and like the $100 Startup is one of his books. And But he had this idea, which is sort of a tweak on the classic sales idea of like adding numbers to your goals. So he said, whatever your creative goal is, like mine was write more poetry. And yeah. so the, his addition was add numbers. And so what I did was how do I write and give away a thousand poems in a year? And that gave it like this container. And so it was like this container that I could like up for an adventure. And the cool thing. So basically I just started out from there and that's what I did. I took this old typewriter uh, that my grandfather had given me. It's like a 1946 Smith Corona. 
and I've been lugging that thing around for 20 years, uh, just using it for fun and writing poems for people, zines, but I had never really taken it seriously. And then this was, this was the catalyst that worked. It sort of was that container, like I said, and I uh, went in, I started writing poems for friends and family on the phone. I started writing poems at food truck uh, parks. I started, I went to a backyard party called the Feast of Fools and it just lit me up. And by the end of the year, I had written a thousand poems, given them away. I did like an improv show. I was collaborating with people and it had completely changed my creative world. And uh, fun side note is later that year, uh, I actually ended up getting an invitation to Chris Gillibo's World Domination Summit and was part of the summit. So I got to like close that loop, uh, you know, saying thank you and giving back uh, to one of the inspirations. Ironically, I have a similar goal. I'm trying to give away 10,000 copies of my book this year. Yours is nice. way more labor intensive than, than what I, mm-hmm. I've written the book once and, and said uh-huh. 10,000 times. So I've, I've maybe, I'm in North Carolina. I okay. want to say I've seen an instant poet in Charleston. Maybe that's the only yeah. time that it really comes across my, my mind though. But nice. it seems like you're doing this really unique thing because when I think of writing, you can picture the guy alone in the room a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But as opposed to like, if you're a musician, there's a song that someone can hear in a minute. If you're a painter, someone can see it in a few seconds or a mm-hmm. movie. You can watch that in a few minutes as well to, to know if you like it or not. Yeah. Did you kind of see this as like a barrier to like, well, one, it's shorter, but it's also like you're connecting with people. Like talk a little bit more about that human connection and getting out of the the single, you know, guy in the dark room writing something. Yeah, well, I I lived, uh, I'd say, most of my life in the starving artist, Jack Kerouac, de- you know, yeah. depressed poet mode. And at some point, you realize it stops, it's not serving me. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. So it was a revelation. It was actually a surprise. And so the only reason I started doing this, I call it poetry in public, is because uh, after trying to make up a thousand poems mm-hmm. you know, in a year, I like ran out of gas about 80 poems in. I was like, I'm not that interesting. You know, I've got 80 ideas. Right. And what do I write about now? So I called my brother and then I, that's why I went to the food truck park or the party or the, this or the, that. And yeah. so I actually, it started out as like, you know, the force of that again, like trying to put it into that container with a number you think it's going to be restricting or I thought it was, but it actually, it pushed me into something that was unexpected. And so what happened is I found uh, in the article you were talking about in Magnolia goes into this wonderful uh, about this like sense of presence. So when I would sit in front of someone else, it, it turned out to be like the opposite of pressure. It was freedom. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, well, what do you want a poem about? It was that idea of an audience of one. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I talked to a lot of younger poets and they're like, oh, how do I write? And that's usually one of my first suggestions is just write for an audience of one, like not for yourself or the whole world, but write a poem for your mom or your, you know, like the classic one is you write a love poem to someone that you love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just build from there. And so that was, that was freedom, that audience of one and and getting there and like that deep listening with the person. And so it, it was a surprise, but now, now it's been 10 years. So I'm, I'm hooked. 
And I think we're going to do one here in, in a few minutes, but yeah. that sounds like to me as someone who does a lot of interviews that you're probably got pretty decent at maybe interviewing people or getting to know mm -hmm. people. Like what are some of those questions you might start with if it's a stranger, I guess. Yeah. Well, usually, so I'll set up like a table like this desk and uh, typically it's, it's like that at an event. So the first poem, you know, I'll just keep it casual. It's a lot like this conversation and then say, uh, so, um, what would you like, uh, you know, is there anything on your mind? Do you have something that you'd like a poem about? And usually people will say, Ooh, which is always kind of funny to me because it's like, well, you, like you probably stood in line for at least a few minutes <laughs> to sit down here to get a poem, right. but somehow like that moment and having to pick. Uh, and so I'll say, look, the first thing that comes to your mind, like the thing that you already said no to, that's the thing. Hmm. And so typically people will relax their shoulders. And the funny thing is that's like, that's the advice I give myself all the time. Like, otherwise you can't write, you know, right. live improv poems. Uh, so that's one thing I tell people. And then just also I'll ask, you know, it can be a, a word or a story uh, or a topic, or just tell me, tell me about, you know, what, what surfaces, like when you sit down, like the thing that you're resisting, like just talk about it. And, uh, and th those are the best poems. So I do, I talked to a lot of screenwriters here and, and the common advice is that anyone trying to chase the market kind of bombs and you have to really write something personal, but it's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. Now that you've kind of seen the other side, how do you work on that yourself? Like, is there something you do to make yourself exercises or something like that? Something to channel, and find those things that are kind of missing. Is it something therapeutic almost? Oh, uh, well, I have three, I have three pillars. That's, that's how I think about it. And it's like, if these three things are on point, the, the poems are going to come and it's exercise, uh, food, like diet, mm -hmm. food and sleep, <laughs> which sounds really boring. And, uh, and I like it that way. It's like, if those three things are on point, uh, then my brain is calm. My nervous system is calm and I can basically, I can be the vessel. Mm -hmm. So I don't have other exercises, uh, but I'll layer different things on top of that. Like one of my favorite. Yeah. So we can go into that if you want, or, uh, but those are the three like baseline for me. And if any one of those is off, can't compensate for it with like caffeine or you know right. little creativity tricks uh yeah so the those are more important than uh, than i ever realized well tell me a little about i would assume uh maybe of the ten thousand, you start to kind of filter those down at some point but how did um whatever magic you need come to be is that coming from that story or elsewhere sure it's uh yeah they came out of that what the thing I love about whatever magic you need is that it's watercolor and typewriter. Mm -hmm. And so what happened is I had done, it was after the thousand poems. So I had done those and then I was doing it for a couple of years and I got booked for my first like residency where I went to a school mm -hmm. for a week. And my, I was there to write poems for the students and the teachers and anybody that visited and also did some workshops. And I showed up and it was a high school 
uh, it was like a boarding school in the mountains in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, this typewriter is going to be interesting for about, you know, two hours. And uh, <laughs> so, and I got like a whole week to fill here. And so I remembered like driving up the mountains, stopping at Michael's or some, something related to that and just buying all the crafts stuff, like hundreds of dollars worth of craft materials. And I took them all to the school and I set them all up and not on the first day, but second day, third day. And, and all, people just, came, it was like magnetic. Like people came over to do art, mm-hmm. but people ignored 90% of what was on the table and they, everybody used the watercolor. Right. And I was just like, what? And then this was a revelation to me, especially as a writer. And so the book was, and so after I saw that, I started using it in a lot of my gigs and I would do it. I did it with corporate, like corporate networking events, watercolor home run, which is so funny. It's like the thing that is not in your day to day is, is the thing, you know, that you want to spend five minutes on even in a crowded room. So that's what the book came out of is me seeing other people love it so much and starting to play with it myself. So again, it was just like that, you know, the challenge and being surprised by what the answer was and then trying to use it myself. So everything in whatever magic you need is, is me. And I had, my daughter was like an infant at the time, maybe she was one. And so we would paint together. And so the book was just born out of play. Hmm. And uh, the title is essentially that it's like a reminder you know, that, that this, this practice, this instant poetry practice is, is going to give me or, or the reader, you know, whatever magic you need. Some of it reminds me, I think it's the director, Robert Rodriguez will have his actors on set paint a picture of the character. And it's just like a very different mm-hmm. outlet for anything that they've really done before. That's cool. It also seems like the watercolor, like I'm looking at one of yours now, like watercolor invites imperfections did you kind of see that as like it's, yeah. there's, they're all kind of a mistake a little bit Do you kind of see that as well i love that you said that that's so cool and uh, that's funny me and my wife have been talking about the word mistake yeah <laughs> lately but uh yes because typewriters especially old typewriters uh there's always smudges and mistakes and yeah and also one of the fascinating things is uh if you type the wrong letter, you can't delete it. I mean, you could get like the little whiteout tape or yeah. whatever, but so yes, the watercolor goes with type in just the, you know, embrace the imperfection idea. Totally. So I love it for that reason, because I mean, I'm not a trained painter. I actually have like a handful of, you know, really bad experiences with <laughs> art teachers <laughs> as a kid, but uh, so yeah, I love that aspect of this what you said about watercolor and just it it's it embraces the mistake and it forgives it and it actually like loves it so i'm looking at a couple in your book like there's one about rain and it looks like there's raindrops uh there's another one about up and down like the love love being up and down there's kind of an infinity sign yeah what comes first does the water come first i mean does the paint come first or does the poem come first or does it go back and forth Oh man, that's such a fun question. I have no idea. Uh, I'll tell you what happened for, they're all different in the sense that uh, it it goes in phases. But for this book, what I did for the most part is I paint, all the paintings came first, or at least the paintings happened. 
without without knowing what poem would go on it. Mm -hmm. And like I say, a lot of them, I was just playing around with my daughter uh, who was really little. And so, you know, little, little kids, they're in that like theta state, just what brainwave. And, and also they're just not that coordinated. So it was really fun to just see what happened because uh, it, it wasn't how I would have done it starting out. So the paint came first and then I would pull out poems and sometimes, and so I remember laying out, I don't know, 30 or 40 watercolor paintings that were the size of these pages. And then I also took out a lot of the poems that I had done recently or poems that I had loved and I started to match them. And so sometimes I would edit them to fit the paintings mm -hmm. or sometimes I would like, basically I took the poems and laid them on top of the paintings to see like how they right. felt spacing wise. And then I would rip them up in pieces and arrange them. And so in a sense, they, uh, they changed each other. And sometimes I would repaint the painting to fit, mm -hmm. but mostly I just uh, took words and like put them on top of the paintings. Some other things this reminds me of um, some of the color, there's a book called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, who's a writer. Oh, yeah. and something you just said earlier, too, like she, I think she calls it the playful trickster or the tortured martyr. Like those are the two types of creatives. Um, yeah. Do you do other things? Like, I mean, you kind of, you saw everyone go towards watercolor. You like kind of had some data about it. But if you were just to go pick things yourself, do you still go and explore other mediums and things? Like, how do you kind of refresh your creativity? Uh, yeah. I would I would say me me and my uh, me and my daughter we laugh about it. she loves coyotes so we'll joke about like coyote energy and all the wonderful stories about coyote okay things like that so I I love the trickster spirit or the just playful uh, like what happens if we do this mm -hmm. that's sort of my operative question so maybe that goes back to what you start asked at the beginning like what is the trick aside from exercise. Yeah. Food and sleep. Uh, what happens if we do this? That's my favorite. And uh, so the other discipline, I speak as well. So I, I, I like to, I speak on stage and, and uh, each time it, it has to be a little bit different. So I find that as a wonderful, like that's a huge push, especially for a writer to mm. have to think about your body language and have to think about voice sound and all the, it's just a totally different way of thinking about, think about like what you look like light and standing uh, projection breathing and so like that stuff really changes how i interact and do the poems and then uh i also i write for uh, business so I'll, I'll do i work with a lot of authors in different mediums whether fiction or a lot of business nonfiction. Mm -hmm. and so being involved with that other kind of content uh, interestingly it will remind me what is exciting about poetry because like nonfiction blogging, for example, or like business blogging for me is not like, it doesn't light me up. Right. Uh, like the ideas might be interesting, but it doesn't, you know, there's not like beautiful turns of phrase. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's a, but then you can, they, they, you can borrow from each other. So again, what happens if this happens or what happens if I try this? Right. So I'll, I'll look at one of yours as an example. Um, I'll read it to the best of my ability here. Um, pavement, believe, and the road appears. 
not because of some magic, but because you are walking and you can see it. Mm-hmm. This reminds me a lot of Elizabeth Gilbert's things as well. Um, yeah. And even uh, some other maybe poetry, but it, it it also makes me think of like manifestations. Like they're not so much magic as just you working towards something. Um, does this poem yeah. stand out to you or anything you want to kind of add to that? I mean, I love playing with the meanings of words, yeah. uh, as, as I'm sure you do. So it stands out. I mean, for me, it, it's a, like when I hear you read it back to me, first of all, thank you. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> and just being able to say, uh, you know, that brings up for me, it's like, oh, I need to go read that, that Buddhism book again. You know, like that's how it it lands for me, and I love Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic too. But uh, so, like, I'll think about the word pavement, like, uh, pay, like I'll split it up in my head and say pave is like a verb. So with meant, like to pave something with what you meant or what you mean, mm. and so that's how I think of it. In adi- in addition to what you're saying, like definitely. You know, you're in the fog and the only way out of, you can't think your way out of the fog. You have to walk and you have no idea. It could be a cliff or it could be sidewalk. Mm-hmm. It could be a wall. And, uh, but you have to do it. And so that's how, that's how it lives for me. It's, um, you know, you walk and, and the, the way appears, which does not necessarily mean like, oh, I'm going to go and it's going to be beautiful and, it's like right. <laughs> nice twisting right. sideway into the horizon. It just means I'm not going to get anywhere sitting right here. Right. And I, like I constantly way. have to remind myself. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Yeah. Do you want walk me through the process? I have like uh, yeah. the live typewriter. Um, I have like an anecdote that I've been thinking about, but if there's a different way, or if we want to go back, you know, whatever you normally do, let me know. Let's do it. I'd love to hear the anecdote and, uh, so yeah. here's here's the typewriter. Uh, okay. have the I've got an old uh, un- Underwood I inherited I behind that. me here. Too. Yes, it's amazing. Yeah, I haven't used Does it. it work? Do you use it? I believe it still works. I haven't used yeah. it, but this might make me. I love the idea. I think David Sedaris oh, yeah. talks about just having balls of paper at the end of the day, as opposed to just a computer screen, is so much different. He lugged his around for a year, as he said. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I do it. Please do it as a like writer to writer. Like the idea again, it's just like the like getting pushed by like the medium or like the the tools. It's so different the experience of because you have to like wait and then right. I use this like thick watercolor paper. Okay. So I can't type because I want it to like absorb paint as well. Mm. Uh, so it's actually printmaking paper. It's like 240 gram like purchase paper and you it so i have to type like hunt and peck even though you know i could (laughs) right cruise on a laptop anyway so what uh so yes i mean the oh i've got a weird question you might know too because i just started looking at this more is like i don't think there's a number one was the number one just an i back in the okay so i never noticed that before it's a lowercase l Okay. Typically, because it'll be it'll have the little serif. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, isn't, isn't that funny? It's like so odd, but it kind of makes sense of just the preciousness of things, you know, a little bit. Yes. And uh, along with that, exclamation mark. Okay. Which is, at least on my typewriter, the way to make it, there's no exclamation mark, which is one and exclamation mark on the computer. On this, you have to do a, like an apostrophe, mm-hmm. which is not slanted. It's okay. upright. And then a backspace period. Okay. I, I kind of <laughs> like that. I had a teacher tell me that you should only use seven exclamation marks in a lifetime. And that makes way more sense versus today so where every email has an exclamation mark in it. You know, yes. the preciousness of <laughs> Rock! it. Rock! <laughs> right. like Great to hear from you. <laughs> right. Just nonstop. Um, okay. So this is actually some, it's something I heard from Seth Godin in a, in a speech, but I feel like most people haven't heard. It's kind of one of those folk tales where you've only heard part of it. And the story is about Icarus and what Seth Godin says is the whole, you know, this is the myth from the 1500s, 1700s don't fly too high. But the full thing is don't fly too high, but more important, don't fly too low. If you fly too low, the waves will weigh you down and you will perish. I think no one really sees that. They only see the upper warning. For some reason, we've lost the second half, which to me is just as important. Oh, that's cool. It's like, don't don't abandon that thing that inspires you either. So it's kind of a weird, I don't know. It's, I thought it was really interesting. Um, oh, I love that. Don't fly too low. What is it? Or the waves will. Uh, don't uh, if you fly too low the waves will weigh you down and you will perish i've never heard that part <laughs> yeah thank you for giving me the other half of the the icarus yeah saying all right so what uh anything else that stands out for you about that or is this poem for you is it a gift for someone else um it, it might be one of, I, I, I like to write when you say write for one person. I, when I write things like this, I kind of write for myself 10 years ago when I couldn't quite commit to writing, I feel like was oh, part yeah. of it, you know? Uh-huh. But okay. I think, um, yeah, there's just kind of a, a warning of, about that. Like the, the real warning is also, you know, don't sit still, as you kind of just mentioned as well. All right. Well, let's write a poem. Yeah. So, for Brock. so this is like ago. a smaller piece of paper too, just for those who can't see it. It's like a, yeah. It's roughly three by five. Yeah. Called it the waves. Nice. I like I'll it. Read it to you. Okay. Do not let the sea breeze confuse you. There's plenty of air up there. Do not sit and sun the dry parts of your heart too long. We need the light. Be with the middle, the story that is boring, because it makes room for you to do however you choose. Yes, there is a wind always ready for you to begin. Nice. I like it. I really like that. That was great. Cool. That was really cool. Yeah, I love the, I, I, I want to make sure I heard it right too. The middle of the part that is boring. I think about all the time, the plateau of being a creative person and you feel like mm-hmm. you're never advancing. I love that, that line. Did anything else come to your mind? Cause I'm still hearing it through my ears very much. Anything else that stood mm-hmm. out to you while you were writing it? I mean, I just kept picturing the ocean. Mm-hmm. So I, I was shocked. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm still surprised about that story. <laughs> right. The addition of the Icarus myth. 
So I, I love the idea of like the sea breeze that I started with, you know, and I always just start with the first thing that comes to mind more or less. And uh, so I love the idea of, of uh, I was picturing Icarus, you know, trying to get off the ground mm. and uh, or trying to get off the water and sort of being stuck like on a windy day with the mist flying in his eyes, you know, and, and he's like, Oh, I don't know if these wings are going to work. And then he goes and, you, you know, like you're saying, and like the myth says, if you go too close to the sun, you know, you're going to melt. And it's actually that middle way, you know, that you, you don't aspire to like, Oh, I want to go just the right amount high. <laughs> right. No, that's not what anybody says in the beginning. You say like, I want to go all the way to the top. Or I want to, whatever, like, I want to be the best. Yeah. And then I feel like after, which is a noble goal, but then also, you know, like I'm a dad and I'm a husband and I'm a writer and I'm a coach, like, and I'm sure you do, we all do many things. And a lot of times, like the joy that I find is in, is in the middle when I'm like deftly navigating, you know, so when I think about that story, I think, oh when Icarus found the middle. Yeah. Like that's it. That's the sail. That's where the wind is. That's the smooth sailing. So. I feel like when I t think of the, the top 1% of someone, I, I think it's somebody like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant and what they sacrifice to do that. And it is yeah. usually family. And that, that when you were just talking, that reminds me of like, that's a difficult choice that they made and they made it every day. It's not one time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's super impressive, like both of those guys and, and so many others. And I'll say the flip version, because like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant are, you know, I mean, they're just yeah. <laughs> incredible inspirations and so good. And I think about someone else that I mentioned earlier, like Kerouac. Yeah. And I, there's this interview that I see of him online where he is just super drunk. And... I forget the interviewer's name, but you know, he was, he's probably about as old as I am right now. Yeah. And he, he looks like he's, he could die right there. Right. And he did die pretty soon after. Yeah. And, you know, when I was young, I would read on the road and Dharma bones and I was like, Oh God, this is it. And I essentially chased that in my twenties and did it. And it was great. And then uh, if I had kept doing that, you know, I would have been probably not on TV, but I would have been, you know, drinking myself to death somewhere less yeah. glamorous. And uh, instead, yeah, it's basically finding the wind in the middle. And it, it's uh, like the what he paid. So I think about that, like the price that he paid. I mean, he had, you know, no wonderful family story and yeah. uh, essentially... Die, die back at his mom's house mm. in uh, the east coast you know alcoholic and uh so i don't know that's i really appreciate that story now i'm now i'm going off to the side but i think you know there's a top and there's a, a quest to get there and then there's also just like this infinitely opening container of mm. aliveness and uh in the middle yeah 
I think too, we're, I'm still kind of picturing this very, you know, linear old Nintendo style, but there's also all the yes. lateral moves you can make with that yes. too. It's not just, you know, one direction there. So, so much you just like anything, I, I talk a lot about, you know, most screenplays are 90 pages, but look how many movies come out of that. Like the creative constraints are not as limiting as they feel and everything else. Yes. Not as limiting as they feel. I like that. Yeah. Nintendo. <laughs> the lateral moves that's perfect yeah well i think we're about out of time here but um for yeah. those listening like tell them where they can learn more about you uh oh yeah you're speaking or your books or any of those things everything is at scottandrewjames.com and uh it's the same on instagram that's where i that's like my daily practice is scott just at scott andrew james perfect thanks again for your time i really appreciate it Yeah, thank you, Brock. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the show. So many great lessons on screenwriting there. If you're looking for some more information, though, some more about the craft of writing for television, uh, we have a new chorus called Script Mastermind, where we have 21 of our proven experts telling you how to write for television, how to write a screenplay, how to break in, things like that. Uh, this includes shows of Gordon Levitt, Judd Apatow, also the writers of shows like Handmaid's Tale, Mosquito Coast, Hunters, Solar Opposites, Resident Alien, WandaVision, the list goes on and on. Check that out. Uh, you can get this all right now for $1 at scriptmastermind.com television. That is the television screenwriting masterclass. It is at scriptmastermind.com television. We'll see you next time with a new episode.